Hello, hello, and welcome to the Burrito Kind of Guy podcast, episode number 15. This week, my guest is my friend Rob Moyer, which, uh, by the way, I just learned how to pronounce his name. I did not know it was pronounced Moyer. I'm not even sure I've been pronouncing it right right now, so I'm sorry, uh, Rob. I'm maybe going to keep on calling you Rob Moir, just like in French, Noir. Um, anyway, Rob is a fantastic singer, songwriter from Toronto. We played uh, some shows together a few years ago, and uh, it was very fun. I really like Rob's songs, so I thought it would be interesting to invite him on the podcast. Yeah! So I'm going to keep it uh, very short uh, for this intro because I think it's a long one. Uh, there's no sponsor again this week. But if you could just give a listen to the new Lost Love album, that would be wonderful. Lost Love, my band, just released a new album um, last Friday, so on, on October 15th. And uh, it's called Empathy. And it's great. Uh, you should give it a listen. It's only 20 minutes long. And uh, yeah, check it out. 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 Enjoy the podcast. It's like, a, it's like we're kind of hanging out, having a beer. But anyways, how are you, my friend? I'm doing very, very good. How about you? Yeah, I guess as good as uh, all things uh, considered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I never in my wildest dreams thought this would go on for two years, but here we are. Yeah, maybe maybe more. Who knows? <laughs> could be, could be, could be. I think the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to win the Stanley Cup before this thing's over. <laughs> wow! <laughs> oh no, it's going to take forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so. funny. So my uh, my lady and I, we we bought this like total fixer upper house, right? Like, and it's just it's one of those things that was just like unlivable. But we're like, hey, like we got time, so. Let's just try to like piece by piece, like put it together. And like back in the day where they used to do the plaster and the lath, that you would use newspaper to hold up the, the plaster, I guess, kind of like a wallpaper almost. And there's like an ad from like 19, I don't know, 50s or something about like the Toronto Maple Leafs winning the Stanley. Like it was like Stanley Cup champions, the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I just thought like whoever was reading that probably thought, oh, yeah, they're going to win like all the time. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Anyway, sorry. Sorry, man. This is your podcast. How are you? No, that's all cool. That's all cool. I like. I like it. I like it. Because, and you know what? That's um, like I had a lot of guests on the podcast that I. It's people that I've never met before, or or that I talked to just a few times. But you, I feel like I know you a bit more. So it's uh, I like it. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a good time. Um, so let's let's start with let's begin with the beginning. Tell me, Robert Daniel Moore. Moir, Moir. <laughs> yep, Moir. Moir. It's a Scottish. Say, it's a Scottish name. Do you say Moir? <laughs> yeah, but I don't really correct people uh, unless they they need the clarification. I just I don't care. <laughs> but I it really... must it and it happens all the time, right? It's just like GM people yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, I think if I was from America or somewhere else, I don't think people would think that my name sounds French because it's just everyone knows that. Like in Canada, we have obviously a French part and an English part, and so they just assume like one hundred percent all the time that my name, my name's Moi, and it's like French name. Yeah. I kind of dig like Moi. It's cool, but it's Moyer. It is Moyer, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I I had this whole song lyrics that I wrote about how to like pronounce my last name, and I never recorded it because it was like there was no good kind of, you know, it would be like it rhymes with divorce lawyer. <laughs> It rhymes with like employer. Like there's just nothing like like that's sort of cool, you know. I guess destroyer, but I mean even that. I mean I'm not really a destroying kind of guy. No, you're not. But yeah. I did the same thing actually. I did a song in French. Uh, it's I don't know. It's not going to be out yet when this podcast will be um, out. But it's called Je m'appelle pas Guillaume, which is like my name is not Guillaume. It's Guillaume. <laughs> so and it's a whole like. I, I've always wanted to write a song about my name because people always like mess up yeah. my name. So I was like, yeah, let's write a song like that. And it's um, it's an unconventional song. It's not like the kind of songs that I usually do. So I'm kind of looking forward to put it out and people will listen to it and be like, what the fuck did he do on that song? Well, you're, you're a unique songwriter because you can tap into like punk rock songwriting, which is one thing. And then you can also do 
Um, almost what I would call if if you'd excuse the term, but you could almost like you could almost also be like an indie singer songwriter. You know what I mean? Like your songwriting is like like I always think of the, your solo stuff. It's not really like this folk kind of sound. It's it's almost like you know that band Waves. Yeah. There there is there something kind of almost like that where it's this like uh, I don't know laissez faire, but also really. I wouldn't say quirky, but there's something about it that's like really colorful. It's really, it's, Thank you. it's remarkable, you know? And so it's really hard, I think, for some of the, the punk songwriters to kind of be <laughs> able to do more than one trick. Yeah. Uh-huh. Thank you. Uh, that's uh, I take that as a compliment being compared to uh, Waves. Waves? I, I, I think that's, I haven't heard. I haven't listened to them for a long time, but I that was, I kind of know their songs a little bit, and so yeah. I'm pretty sure that's how their band name is called. <laughs> uh, so tell me, where were you born, and uh, when were you born? I was born the night John Lennon was killed on December really? 9th, 1980. Yeah, and his spirit came into my body. No, that part's not true. But I did. I, I was born could be true. the night he was died. <laughs> I don't think I think John Lennon's like I want to come back and like really struggle this time you know (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah December 9th 1980 uh in Toronto Canada Toronto Ontario I should say 1980 uh, yeah I'm old I didn't I didn't know that you were like 12 years older than me I thought you were like I don't know five years older than me is someone gonna steal my identity now that I've just given you my actual birthday (laughs) Uh, probably. I don't know anymore. I don't know. Everybody can do that without that now. It's crazy. So well, I'll tell you something about being 12 years older. I mean, when, you, when you're when you kind of like in this punk scene or you come from it, it is oddly like ageless in a way. I mean, I remember playing in like my high school punk band was like, was called the Stiffs. And we were like a pop punk, screeching weasel, loving uh, three piece. And we had a couple of cassettes out and uh, a CD. Anyways, we, but we were like, you know, the high school band at these shows where all these other bands were like late 20s. And those guys seemed so old, but at the same time, they were kind of like cool to us. You know what I mean? Like, so it, it kind of it let me forget about what is supposed to be age in a way. Yeah. So you grew up, did you grow up in t- Toronto or did you grow up in a suburb Toronto? No, it was like uh, well, it was like East East York, which is which is in the city, but it's just like the east east end of the city. Do you have any siblings? Yeah, got a sister and I got a brother, younger. I'm the oldest. Are you are you the only one who uh, plays music, or did they? No. Nope. Uh, my sister plays baritone saxophone, and uh, she actually currently plays with the Arkells and oh, cool. um, a bunch of other. She played in a bunch of ska bands. And uh, my brother has zero interest in it. Like, could not care less. <laughs> what does he do? He's a uh, he's a registered nurse. Oh, cool! So he's doing something useful. Yeah, he works in mental health, and uh, actually, uh, currently in a safe injection site in Toronto. So, nice. pretty heavy stuff. Um, yeah, thank like thank God there's people like who can handle those jobs like I just I feel like such a wuss in the real world you know what I mean if someone has like a real issue I'm like I don't know what to do and I'm so thankful there's like people willing to step up and take on those jobs well you're revamping your the house that you bought right yeah so you're kind of a handy person like you can fix things (laughs) can you I don't know about that we're watching a lot of YouTube videos and trying to figure it out so Uh, are you are you saying that like because I'm not handy at all. I cannot fix shit. Even if my dad like is a carpenter and he does amazing <laughs> stuff. Uh, so you're saying I could someday buy a, ha- a shitty house and maybe YouTube the way. <laughs> I literally think anybody could could do the bare basics with it. I mean, you probably wouldn't want to do your own plumbing. You know, we're getting people to do kind of the more dangerous yeah. stuff. And there's some real like pro framing things that I just wouldn't trust myself to do structural, et cetera. But literally like you could do almost all of the rest of it. I mean, it's just kind of patience and being willing to kind of uh, make mistakes and correct them. I guess. And time, you know, that's one mm-hmm. thing about COVID. It's like, I kind of had this feeling early on even that I was like, this is going to be like, this isn't going to be a couple months. It's going to be a long time. And so, yeah, I just, I don't know. I think it was like the time to do something like this. And uh, so that, yeah, that's kind of what I've been 
doing. But I'm really, truly hoping. I don't know. Maybe it's just being naive now. Like I'm just exhausted with waiting so long to try to go back to touring. That like I really do have this feeling that like somewhere, somewhere in like the middle of 2022, everyone's just gonna be like, all right, I think we just, you know. That's, yeah, that's what I hope for it. 2021. I guess I was naive. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're just so, off by year. Uh, what was it like to grow up in a big city like Toronto? Like, did you? Because uh, a lot of the people I had on the podcast, podcast, they grew up in like a, some smaller cities or like town towns. Um, what, how was Toronto when you were like a kid? Super fun. I highly recommend it if you can grow up in a city. Uh, you spend a lot of time outside. We did like we, you know. I kind of grew up with a bunch of kids that had like no money. And so we would always just, we'd find fun in the stupidest things like running, like just trespassing basically into people's property, running through their backyards was, you could kill a whole summer doing that every night and it never got old. So uh, things like that. um, I didn't really like go downtown until I was like probably in my late teens or something. Like I didn't really know about going to like, you know, downtown and stuff like Mm. that didn't really occur to us. But uh, yeah, I recommend it if you can. I mean, you, you, I think you were born in Montreal. Is that correct, or the, the suburbs? No, I was born in Rimouski, which is like very oh, I'm sorry. Far. That's I yeah. think I maybe knew that actually. Yeah. 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 Uh, and when did you start playing music? Pretty much like as early as I can remember, like 14, 13, 14, probably picking up guitar and then writing songs like immediately. Just like it was the only thing I think. I don't know if I would have like been happy to just play an instrument like I kind of think the creative side of music is so much more interesting to me than um, sometimes just the act of of playing an instrument cool so did you did you learn any covers when you started or it was just right away like yeah I mean it was like uh you know I I was kind of a teenager discovering music during this golden era of like 90s alt rock and Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins and Green Day, Dookie. And so it was kind of like all that was like really new. So it was kind of interesting too. Um, and a lot of those songs are just easy to learn how to play. Mm-hmm. And your first band was called The Stiffs, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. how, how old were you when you started that? We were like 14. Nice. And and uh, I I saw on your Wikipedia that you renamed it. It's the same band that you re- like just changed the name for Dead Letter uh, Department. Yeah, which also I recommend because if you're gonna kind of move through you know your own creative songwriting, you're it's gonna change a lot over time. And so the Stiffs kind of was like I said, it was like this three P. We love Lookout Records. Uh, and we kind of also oddly liked sort of like this like skate punk. So it was kind of like a mix between the two bands, uh, two sounds, I should say. And then Dead Letter Department was kind of a little bit more mature. It was a bit more like indie punk. Um, I've never listened messier. to that. You know, I, I listened to it. Uh, I showed Yotam from Useless ID because uh, we did some solo shows together. I showed him the record that Dead Letter Department made in 2005. And he just looks at me and he's just like, this is such like odd punk music. You know what I mean? It was just structurally, it was so all over the place. I think we tried to be like Jawbreaker meets, I don't know, just like some kind of like indie rock. It was, I don't sort of, I don't know if I really kind of relate to those songs the same way as I probably even, I like the Stiff songs better because they were more simpler and they were like, I don't know, there was a song there where I think we're like Dead Letter Department kind of got into just like, oh, let's just have like five different bridges. And mm-hmm. it's sort of, there's people who really like that sound, but like, I don't know if it really makes sense to most people. Yeah, I totally understand that. I also had a phase when it was when I was in my early 20s where I wanted to write songs that did not have any like choruses or versus it was just like riff number one riff number two riff number three yeah. and then it was like all right there's no structure in that and there's uh i i i don't know now now i just i want more structure but uh i understand that people some people don't like that structure that like easy like structure that pop catchy i think what it is is that you know i don't know how lost love works but there has to be kind of like a bit of a dictator in the band 
the songwriting dictator that sort of says, no, you guys don't always get to like help mm-hmm. because that's where those songs kind of come from a lot is when it's a lot of people's ideas and those people ideas very rarely can gel together that great. You know what I mean? Like I was thinking about, um, I don't know if you're like a Radiohead fan. Um, I'm a, I'm a big Radiohead guy. And like, uh, and you know, you have a band of like pretty talented people in that band. And I imagine it must just take so much ironing out to finally get to a point where like all five of them are just like super happy. So I don't know to each their own, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, who did I talk to? I think I talked to, um, Jay Mass a few weeks ago. Do you know, you know, Jay Mass, he played in a band called the feeder, like no. a hard, hardcore band from Boston. And uh, mm. he was he was saying that he was saying like that uh, there needs to be someone who's uh, like democracy in a band. It's not good. It's not going <laughs> to you're yeah. going to end up with songs that are all over the place. And you need someone mm-hmm. that's in charge of the I guess of the creative like side of the song. Like some, somebody needs to be maybe not of all the songs, but like every song there needs to be like a creative quote unquote director or something like that. That will totally. be, that will take the decision in, in the end. Yeah, and I think that it would be like I'd always I never got to do this. Well, actually, I did a little bit, but I I would also on the flip side, I'd love to just be like a bass player in someone's project and then just go like, "This is what you're playing." I'd be like, "Great!" Like I'm just here for the hang, and <laughs> yeah. I like being on stage. You know what I mean? Like, so I think it's you don't always have to contribute to everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can have your sort of baby, as they say, and then you can have your collective that you're yeah. you're part of something. I'm going to do that for the first time or ever, or no, maybe that's, a, I did that a few years ago, but like, I, I'm going to do my first show that I'm going to play is in a couple weeks and I'm just going to play bass for someone. Cool. And, uh, and it's not, it's not my songs. It's just like, and it's a show. Like I can't wait to play a show. It's, like, it's going to be crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you remember cool. the first show, the first show that you played with um, the Stiffs? Yeah, we. It's funny you bring that up because like the three of us like just got together over the I don't know last month and we talked a lot about this stuff. They really? were like these battle of the bands because those are kind of like your first gigs. Is like if you're if you're still in high school, especially like if you're in high school in like 1996. <laughs> you know, it's not like you have like access to the cool uh, music scene online that you can find all these listings for, right? I mean, you're like on your own. So yeah, we played all these battle of bands and uh, I don't know, there was just like immediately there was kind of this like good response from, from people. So yeah, I was kind nice. of encouraging. Uh, I have this weird question. Cause like, I know like where I grew up, my parents have like a house so we could practice there. They weren't like really nice to let us make noise when I, <laughs> when yeah. I was a teenager, but like in Toronto, like, was it harder to find a space to practice when you were a teenager or like did one of you had a parents with like a basement that was isolated enough? Well, yeah, we, we practiced all the time in my parents' basement in, in East San Toronto. Now the thing about East San Toronto is like, it's not really like downtown. So there are a lot of just like detached and semi detached houses, okay, uh, cool. but we were, we were pretty loud though. I mean, you could walk by the street and hear it. Like it was kind of crazy if I think about it now and they just, they, <laughs> supported and tolerated it like uh but eventually when we kind of got you know to like uh a little bit more like when we got like jobs and stuff we were able to kind of rent our own rehearsal space nice um and so uh did you did you record anything with the stiffs because i couldn't find any uh yeah if you go on youtube uh you can uh, it's hard to it's it's hard to find because like it's funny we're talking about this too there's this guy He's got a YouTube channel. His name's Gareth Cooper. And uh, he basically took all these like tapes and seven inches of all the Toronto punk bands in the 90s. And he put them up on YouTube. And we were using those songs because we, we got together. We had a little practice. And uh, we were using the YouTube videos to like learn, relearn how to play some of the songs. It's like wow. hilarious. But the thing is, is like with, because we were called the Stiffs, like there was another band from the UK. I think called the Stiffs, or they were from New York, maybe, and they were kind of like, like, like big, like they're like a bigger punk band. Uh, so you know, even like one time we were playing this show in downtown, and this guy, like, he was like, he looked like an old punker dude. He came out and he thought it was going to be like the Stiffs from New York or UK or something, and he was like super bummed out. They were just these like three little pop punk kids, <laughs> just hijacking his favorite band's name. 
uh, and with dead letter department, do you, do you call it dead letter department or dead letter dead? Uh, we call it dead letter department. Yeah. But again, same sort of thing. We wouldn't really, people would call us dead letter depth and we wouldn't really be like, we wouldn't change it or challenge it or anything. So. <laughs> Uh, just easier. Yeah, you released one album with that project, or more? Did you? Is there uh, more? We did like one proper one. There was Underground Operations was a label, and in South, uh, South, I guess southeastern Ontario. I guess is probably the best Toronto-based one point two, and uh, they put out a proper album, which um, was the only one they really properly had released. But there was a couple like seven-inch stuff and. Sure. Maybe a split or a couple EPs or something. Yeah, um, yeah. and the album is called "Rock and Roll Hates You." Does yes. rock and roll still hates you? Or <laughs> you know, at the time I was listening to this, like I was—I think it's like a lyric in a Jesus and Mary Chain song, which I really a band I was really into at the time. And uh, I think I just thought it was like a cool. We were like we were kind of like snotty on that record, like we. Uh, do you remember that? I don't know if you would remember this or not, but like in the early 2000s, like on Much Music, uh, there was like all these like kind of making the band type shows. And like Greg Norrie, who was like the lead singer of Treble Charger, like he was like the kingmaker, like he'd make your your punk band and or your rock band or whatever. And so we kind of like, I don't know, referenced him a little bit in one of the songs. So we were kind of like snot, like we weren't like mean about it, but we were kind of just like talking about how like Greg Norrie is going to, like it was like this fantasy of like Greg Norrie coming in and like telling you about our band. <laughs> it was so <laughs> nice. stupid. But and, and uh, when, yeah, go ahead. No, I just just I was trying to think about like so I think it was kind of like rock and roll hate you was like us kind of just like I don't know just being like frustrated with like the the mainstream man. Yeah, you know. I totally get that. You uh, and what year did you broke up with? Um, what, well, what year did the band break up? Did you uh, leave probably the band? like two thousand six seven? It all just kind okay. of fell apart. Okay, and is that when you started playing solo or? No, you... <clears throat> at, on that CD, the, the Rock and Roll Hates You, there's a song called God is a Good Girl. Oddly enough, uh, that song was in an episode of Degrassi, Next Generation. No no it. fucking way. Yeah, I had, we had a couple of them actually in that show. I still get royalties from that, funny enough. What? Yeah, I still get like eight bucks every quarter sometimes, something sometimes more. Just because Degrassi, we had like, I don't know, I want to say we had like three songs in Degrassi episodes. The the Next Generation one. Um, yeah. the, one that I, the one that I was watching when I was a teenager. Because yeah, because <laughs> like, wow, yeah, that's, that, that's the 12 years difference. Because I was yeah. watching the original one thinking like, how dare they make this again? You know? and, and you and, know what? Uh, I, was watch, I was watching them in French because they translated them in French for Quebec. Yeah. And uh, at some point, like the, um, I don't know, like the family channel in, in Quebec, um they for christmas they they had a marathon of the old the grassy and i look oh, yeah i remember like looking at my tv and being like what the fuck is that and my dad <laughs> my dad being like yeah there's like an old generation to that tv show you didn't know and i was like how old is that <laughs> like i would do i did not know it was like to me it was called it the like the grassy next generation and i never thought that like it meant that there was like a first generation i was just like whatever that's the name of that tv show <laughs> dude this is how old that show is that was like in grade four and they would like push in this like projector in the classroom and we'd watch like you know on film these episodes it was like watching like the dailies from world war Two or something like that's how old that show is and uh <laughs> But the the old show, I, I can't remember how many, because there's kind of like a there was one for kids, like and that was that was like a, like they were sort of liturgy, like had paper roots and stuff in the neighborhood. And then there was one that was like high school, and that's the one with like Joey Jeremiah. And that show is, I mean, that's that version of the show is like is pretty popular around the world. Like a lot, of, like you know, in sub kind of cultures, yeah, yeah. like people love that show. And that I like that show a lot, actually. I mean, I I rewatch it like now and i'm like you know none of these kids look like they're like child actors they're just regular looking kids acne is just like it's yeah. it's real you know and like uh -huh. there's something kind of missing when they went on to the next one i, I don't know man like and their you know, their bed was pretty good yeah if you're like a next generation guy i mean that's just that's what separates us <laughs> yeah i guess so but i really like the first like the first generation when i when i realized that it existed i watched it and i was like yeah, I kind of kind of like it. It's it was funny to watch. 
Like totally. it was like, yeah. And uh, everybody wants something. Never give up. That was the song. Yeah. I think the the Zits. I think that's the name of their band. Zit Remedies. Zit Remedy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Which wow. is such a great high school band name because it's oh, like, yeah. <laughs> it's one of your major concerns is getting acne and like, they had it. <laughs> <laughs> so so but when it, did you start playing uh, solo songs? Like okay, uh, so. That song, Guys a Good Girl and Dead Letter Apartment, Rock and Roll Hate You, it's kind of like a little, like, it's still like faster than I probably play now, but like it was kind of like, you know, it was like starting to get in like alt country at that time. And uh, so that's kind of like an, it's a bit of like an alt country ish song. And that was kind of, I think, like probably the first really going from just writing songs for electric guitars, knowing that that guitar is going to be pretty gainy and pretty loud. And then kind of go into like, oh, okay, that I can actually kind of write some songs on acoustic as well. So about about that time, then I waited about two, two years or so, and then that's when I put up my first EP, solo EP. What did you do during like the these two years that you were not playing? Trying to muster up the like courage to play solo because you know when when you played in like punk bands, like I don't know, I, my first impression of like the singer songwriter was not a good one. It was, you know, very uh, lame and cheesy and kind of like the guy at the party that's just trying to get girls or something. Uh, I didn't have a, yeah, yeah. And uh, so <laughs> I kind of, you know, there's a couple singer songwriters who I knew were like cool. Like, I mean, obviously Billy Bragg kind of stretched across the punk scene and into this, you know, folk scene as well. Uh, there's a guy from Australia called Darren Hanlon. And I saw him open for Billy Bragg in like the early 2000s. And he like totally changed my opinion about it because he went up there and he, no one knew who he was and he was playing a theater. And for 30 minutes, I was like, oh my God, I almost like this guy's show as much as I liked seeing Billy Bragg with a band. And he was funny and he just had like this way of connecting a hundred percent with the room. And I was just like, okay, I can, I can see myself like doing this at some point. Mm-hmm. There's the whole uh, aspect of um, that I really enjoy about your shows, like the whole storytelling and uh, connecting with the crowd. Like you can play in front of like <laughs> you could play in front of like ten people and it doesn't matter because like you're like it's it's all about like the connection with the crowd. And if there's like fewer mm-hmm. people, it's not a big deal. And as whereas like when you're with a punk band if you play in front of like 10 people it's harder to like build that bridge with between like the crowd and and yourself i feel yeah, like you get back in the van and there's one person in the band that kind of wants to quit the band <laughs> and then you all gotta like go through the therapy okay it's not always yeah. like this right yeah that's not yeah, what i'm whereas... for <laughs> <laughs> i know right yeah i mean i don't unless i was sort of supporting i honestly think that like if i play shows and there's like 40 people there. I'm like, this is like a good crowd. Like, this is like yeah. a packed room where you're right. I mean, if you play uh, at the band, you kind of need like 40 people per member to feel like you're playing a really good show. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and um, you released your first uh, EP, which I've never heard because it, I, I didn't find it online. This is this is the lie. I think it's on Spotify. Maybe it's not. It's I mean, not it on Spotify. Changed. Or maybe it is. Can you you know what my Spotify sometimes? I, re- Some, I it kind of changed a few different um, like uh, digital distributors, and so oh, sometimes yeah, it's, it's on there, okay. sometimes it's not. <laughs> Should it's be. What else is? How else is it going to make any money anymore? <laughs> it's like it needs to be somewhere <laughs> on there, I guess. But, if but you I click don't on, really. Yeah. Okay. You have to click on singles. That's why. Oh, uh, yeah, because it's like an EP. Huh. It's weird. But yeah, that's uh, so that was kind of like I made that. It's five songs with my buddy Mike, who played in Dead Letter Apartment. Actually, Mike still plays in most. He plays drums for most of the solo stuff that still exists. And uh, a friend of his, this guy Harley Haskett, who still also plays when when I do like a, a full band thing. So both those guys, and yeah, it was kind of the first time really going for a totally different sound. And I just never looked back. Let's talk about Do you remember the first song that you have written ever? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I don't, it was more like something I could play on guitar that would be like, you know, just kind of like, like take like power chords of like D, A, 
I don't know, F, G or something like that. And then I was just kind of like picking the first three strings kind of up and down. <laughs> it was just something really like that. But it sounded nice. good. It was just like, I was like, oh, okay. I kind of see, you know, what's going on here. Yeah, I kind of see how this yeah. can be fun. Totally, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and you re you released like three solo albums. Um, yeah. How did your songwriting um, process progress through like the, the three albums? Like how... How did you write songs when you first like started to write like your solo songs? Let's start with that and then maybe go yeah. with like now what do you do? So I would say the first album that I put out, the solo album that I put out, uh, probably still had a little bit um, of that kind of dead letter apartment. Like there could be sort of, you know, bridges and didn't, didn't need to make sense and so it was still kind of sometimes experimental, like a little bit sometimes. Uh, and then sort of like the second album onward, I kind of cleaned that up and sort of just clarified more on how to put song structure together. So I think there's there's an evolution how I see it, how I write songs, that's constantly getting more and more focused. Um, and that's why it takes longer, I think, to write songs than it used to. Like... You really have to kind of go through ideas and share those ideas with people who know will tell you the truth on them. And um, yeah, so I think it just does, it continuously and continuously gets more and more focused. Doesn't mean that like people are going to like it more or less. That's, that's kind of not up to, to me, I guess, but like, mm. but that's how I see it. Let's, let's talk about like places to die when, when you, uh, when you wrote this album, did you know, what did you want to do with this album? Like, did you want to tour a lot with it? Uh, what was, where were you when you wrote that album? Yeah. So the touring aspect, a hundred percent, because that was what was actually exciting to me about being a musician was like going on stages and playing your songs for crowds of people and letting them decide whether you sort of sink and swim, you know, sink or swim. Like, like I think that that's still quite an exciting aspect of, being a musician and it's for me it's not for everybody but it's definitely for me and so touring like I knew if like I kind of wanted to like tour like you know if I, if I wanted to like tour full-time like I just had to like start touring full-time so I think with this is the lie of the EP I did like a, a North American tour the first time I, I I played like four solo shows and they were like okay they were like shaky, but okay. And then I just like booked myself a tour, which is ridiculous. Like you should, I should have probably ironed it out for a year or two, but I was, was just like, so like no time like the present. Yeah. Was it like a cross cross Canadian tour? Yeah. It was like, it was like the, it was essentially I start. I did like, I flew to California and I played like five or six shows in California. And then I flew up to Vancouver and from Vancouver to Halifax back to Toronto I took Greyhound and Via, Via Rail. I know. And back then, this was like 2010, I think, 10, 2011. You could get like from Greyhound, like you pay like 500 bucks and you, it would be like for a month and you could go like literally back and forth as many times as you wanted. It was like un, unlimited pass. Wow. And Via, I don't know if you've ever heard about this, but Via Rail has this program where like if you play concerts on the train for the passengers, no they way. give you like... Yeah, yeah. This, you, I think. I mean, it might not. It might be suspended with COVID, but like, uh, it, you can you get free travel. Like, it only works uh, if you're going between certain lines. Like, you couldn't go from like, you know, Montreal to Kingston for free if you play a couple. I I don't think. Like, I think they would probably want more out of you than that. But you get to stay in like the cabin, and it's like kind of like a first class. Uh, so that's what you, you did. Know, wow. Yeah, and then I would never do it again. Oh. Why? Because <laughs> it's like it's like awkward for three days straight, and uh, so glad I did it. There are musicians who do it every year. There's a musician I know, uh, Orch Shimoni. I think I'm saying her name right. Uh, she uh, she's done it like 50 times. She loves it. Hmm. It was how she would tour Canada. She didn't have a car or anything. She would just go out. It's only for singer songwriters and duos. Okay. Wow, oh, I did not know that. That's it, that's crazy. Taking the train, and I did it, like, this is the other thing, I did it in, like, February. <laughs> so that's probably part of the reason why I might never do it again either. Oh, but, yeah. uh, so, 
Yeah, I mean, there was aspects of like, you know, looking out the window at night and just kind of seeing like the snow glistening off the sort of lights of these small towns. And like, there's something kind of beautiful about it. But at the same time, it's just like, it's too much with the same people in the same little tiny tin kind of tube for days and days. And I don't know if you've ever taken the train across Canada, but like that train will just stop like in the middle of nowhere, sometimes for like four hours while there's like a CN train that has to pass by because <laughs> CN trains, like all the freight gets priority and they kind of rent out the tracks to via. So huh. yeah, it, wow. it can be kind of uh you gotta have a lot of patience when you take those trips. Interesting. But you were stopping like from a city to another, right? You were not, so you, you were not always kind with of. the same people. Kind of. I did um, the longest one I did. I did like Winnipeg to Toronto which still takes like three days or two, two and a half days or something like that. It's a long time. Um, and then I went from Montreal to Halifax. And then I think that from Halifax home, I don't think I did it again. I think I was just taking buses and stuff like that. But okay. it, was a pretty cra- it was a pretty crazy trip, like six weeks, you know, kind of like end of January through like early March. Uh, and it was just, yeah, it was proper uh, – um, it it just I had to figure out so much stuff on that tour. It was it was great in a lot of ways. Was was it the longest tour you had done at that time? Yeah, kind of because I don't remember the band Dead Letter Department toured a few times, but I think we only ever went for maybe four weeks at the most or something. So six weeks is like you know you gotta you kind of figure out in that period if it's for you or not. You know. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and it, it was, was for totally you. For me. I yeah. loved it. Man. I, I recommend it, really. So what what is Places to Die about like then? So you wrote that album, I guess, after this first tour or some between that first tour and... Yeah, I kind of had like... So I had some of the songs for the EP, but they just didn't really fit. Uh, like the actual title track, Places to Die, Before You See the World. I had that song kind of in that same batch. Um, and I was like working this job in Toronto and my boss at the time like his mom was uh was pat like she was like very sick at home passing away and uh and I guess they you know they had like the means to have her at home and so it's kind of like this whole that's where I sort of caught this idea of like like I don't want to die in the hospital <laughs> yeah <laughs> which you know I don't know and it kind of just like so themes like that it was just sort of being I don't know it was like, I guess like uh, in my late twenties at the time. And I was like trying to just like resist the urges of like adulthood. So I was kind of just like trying to figure out why my friends were so into like stuff, you know? And uh, there's a lot of themes like that. Um, and just like the first time, uh, that, you know, I was really kind of finding like a sound that I was, I was kind of would explore deeper, I guess, throughout the, the other two albums. But yeah, I don't know. I like the, I like that album. It's it's most people's favorite of mine for for whatever reason. And like, um, I just think it kind of it was also very um, like there was like louder songs, and then there would be like really quiet acoustic one mm-hmm. voice guitar songs. And I thought that was cool at the time that there was a variety there. Cool. And then two years later, Ad- Adventure Handbook came out. What what is that album about? Like you rolled that one. It seems like you rolled that one on tour or I'm assuming. Yeah. hundred percent. That was kind of like, um, I, I, I really wanted to make like a full band album because I thought that my project was going to be inevitably just a full, full band thing again, which, uh, I was wrong, <laughs> but, uh, it was, yeah, I guess like kind of inspired by these, like this touring lifestyle and trying to just, uh, you know, the kind of highs and mostly highs and sometimes lows of it. Um, and, uh, but it was really like, it was so obvious this was going to be this like full band record. Like as soon as I got back and I was playing it with the guys I play with, it just kind of came up and it's like such like a rock album too, Mm -hmm. which is weird because I, that's another thing is I kind of feel like I, I can't imagine ever going back to, I can't imagine like writing that type of album, like cover to cover pure like rock songs ever again. It was just like, it was just this thing and it was like a moment. Cool. Awesome. What uh, we we just talked a little bit about your songwriting process, but what what is your songwriting process right now? How do you write a song these days? Do you start with like the melody or like 
like with yeah, your, with so guitar. This is gonna sound really weird, but like these melodies just come to me, and they they arrive in my head for uh, sometimes days, if not weeks. Sometimes I forget them. Sometimes I come come back to them, and and then I just have to like figure it out. You know what I mean? So I'll kind of just like find time signatures and I'll find like the melody at the same time. I'll kind of like, all right, this is sort of how this is going to go. And then I kind of realize based off of like those melodies and time signatures, when I get to an instrument, like guitar primarily that, uh, it starts like the mood of the song kind of like reveals itself. And then sometimes I'll just go on my phone and I'll have like, I'll have like notes in my phone Mm -hmm. of just lyrics, ideas, thoughts, and I'll kind of see if like I can't like marry the two together. And, Sometimes that works out incredibly well, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it takes like years to realize an idea is just not coming together. And sometimes you kind of like just cut and paste two ideas together, and that kind of miraculously works. But yeah, it's a long process that uh, I don't know if I can kind of explain it well. It's just, it's sort of, it's the closest thing I have in my life that I would say is like magic. It just really just comes out of nowhere. Do you uh, so once you have like ideas like this and you have like lyrics there and like maybe some chord like guitar chords, do you plan like specific moments for songwriting or do you just like is it like when you're you feel inspired and then like you sit down and you're like, all right, I need to piece out some parts of songs and and do something or uh... yeah, I always found that was like really hard. So, Adventure Handbook, like I uh, I was touring just like an on an ungodly amount it was probably like nine months a year at some point and there i was like okay i've got these like song ideas i need to uh so i would just like get hotel rooms for three four days and just map them out that way um the one thing that's always been like i'm late on and this is just like because there's aspects of my life that's like are so work driven and there's aspects of my life that are so lazy and the technology found me so late i should have just been like learning GarageBand and, you know, how to use some sort of, like, recording software way back in the day. Because it would have cost so, – it would have, like, helped so many um, moments of just trying to figure things out with time signatures and clicks and uh, what keys songs are in. But anyways, yeah, I would I would kind of have to schedule those days to figure out the ideas that were just circulating in my head. Uh, and now it's not that different. You know, I still kind of play, make time for it. Um yeah, that's that's how I would sort of look at doing that. Cool. How did you write the song "Ports of Call"? Do you remember where you were and what you were? What is? What does this song mean to you? Yeah. So I was trying to really capture like this feeling of of this freedom that I that I, I was that I now had, where I didn't have to work a job, um, but I was like you know constantly on the road. So it's kind of this like that was like the honeymoon phase of touring, where you just thought this is like the best. It's never gonna end. You know, this feeling's going to go on forever. And so I think that that song was, uh, yeah, trying to capture this kind of, you know, this perfectly lost feeling where you're out there um, making things work, you know, by your own hands and your own uh, ideas. And, um, yeah, I think, but I think I ultimately was actually in Toronto, coincidentally enough, when I was writing that song. Uh, And, yeah. yeah, I think I just, you know what it is? It's, it's like playing around with a capo sometimes really changes. Like, yep. Um, and I remember kind of for a while I was like writing a lot of songs with that, with capo in the fourth fret position. And like, um, and I love, like, I love like opening up the bottom strings, like always having those ring out. And so that's kind of how that song just like came together was just like this fast, like back and forth in the chords, leaving the ringing out the, and the strings. And just, I don't know, it came up really fast. Yeah, capo four is my jam too, and that's what I do mm. most of the time. I even wonder if uh, no, okay, it's not. I thought I thought one of my guitar had a capo on on the fourth. You fret. have a permanent capo on. <laughs> uh, sometimes. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, did did you work with producers on any of your albums? Like yep. producer, and by that I mean like because I don't know if everybody has the same uh, definition. Like I mean like somebody who who listens to like your songs and give their opinion on your song and how you should or how you could change them yes definitely uh another thing i highly recommend actually even if it's just someone who can tell you the truth um but uh yeah we i think the first 
two, no, the EP and the first two full lengths were with a, a producer named Lynn Dubuque. And I found her on Craigslist. And did, you say, did you say Lynn Dubuque? Like, yeah, is it like- she's, she's Toronto based. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but I believe, yeah, she's, her family's French. They're, they're I have same. a colleague who's, her name is Louise Dubuque. So I was like, oh, oh yeah, that's so funny. Is, yeah. I don't know. Is Dubuque like a popular name? Is it like Smith or something? Cool? Not that, well, not that much. So <laughs> maybe they're related. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she just had up like a, a Craigslist ad for like, you know, free or cheap studio time because she was doing a course for one of the colleges that was like downtown. And I was literally working like three blocks away and I just wrote, and I was like, Hey, like, you know, I'm looking to make like a solo EP. I was playing in this band before and yeah, we worked together for a couple things and it was, it was great, great, great relationship. Um, yeah, this, it was good to kind of have always like someone who can, I don't know, who like thinks about the song. They're like outside of it. And mm-hmm they're not emotionally invested in it the way you are. Like you, if you write a song, you think it's like perfect and and it stings when someone comes in and they're like, nah, you need like these few things. Now that being said, like I don't really remember too many like massive changes in yeah. any of the songwriting. Like it's usually just kind of cleaning them up, making them more um, like kind of having a clarity to the start and finish. Yeah. And, but, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah. And how, how do you write your lyrics? Do you, you mentioned like sometimes you write notes, but how do you usually, do you choose a theme first? Yeah, I'd say it kind of, it's, it's, it's interesting how when you have the melody and you have the time signature, like the mood of it kind of presents, presents itself. And that case, or once that's reached that sort of uh, place, then lyrics usually kind of like come um there's a lot of editing like don't get me wrong it's tons and tons of editing and they're never really seem finished you know it's just like oh i could have done that better wording this better but um but yeah i would say that the 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 mood sort of presents itself like what the lyrics sort of ought to be about Mm -hmm. what's do you have a favorite song that you have written that you're you're like yeah this is like the best because i song I don't, but maybe I have. I never really thought about this, but uh. yeah, I don't know if there's like a favorite favorite. Um, there's certainly like a, on on Adventure Handbook. There's a song called "Just Ghost," and that was like this really kind of moody, um, you know, a lot of like minor chords, and uh, I don't know. I just I felt like that was like getting close to something where. I, I I was surprised that I was kind of like able to write. I want to say like more sophisticated from like the folk stuff, but it was like kind of going somewhere a bit differently. And even though I think that the the song recorded turned out okay, I kind of wish I like worked on that one from worked on it more in a way. Like yeah. I wish I kind of had more time with it. I probably have a different sort of like arrangement of it. That song I like. There's a song. Uh, on the la- the last record called Wolves, and that's really where we kind of took out the acoustic guitar and put in sort of more atmospheric slide pedal mm-hmm. and kind of like reverb them off each other, and it kind of created this like interesting texture. And that also was a time where I was like, oh, I, I kind of want to do more of like exploring this type of sound, but not in a way that's like such a departure that it seems f- sort of... I don't know. Sometimes people make these departures in songwriting. Like, I was listening to a song today, and I, I won't say who by who, but I was familiar with um, the songwriter's like past work. And then there was like a new song that came out, and I just felt like it was like, I don't know, it was trying to be like really like 80s or something, and not in a way. Like, I think if you're going to write like an 80s kind of like sort of synthesizer and everything, you really got to work with someone who knows how to like do those sounds. In my opinion like who knows how to kind of get something great out of those sounds because like so much of that synthesizer 80s sound like that uh just ugh. It, it, you mm-hmm. think it sounds good in the first time you do it but it's not good <laughs> like, this needs to be refined you know it's and i, I don't know i'm a snob with that stuff so. i feel like it's very a uh, very popular thing to do to add synth in your stuff uh we did it with lost love on uh the album that came out in 2018 
we we put some some sin there because we were like, yeah, we can try to be more. I don't know more alternative, less punk, and 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 uh, the album that will come out, or I guess it already came out three days ago when this will came come out. Uh, <laughs> this album we decided like fuck since we were just gonna like play rock, <laughs> like we're gonna play punk music, uh, just guitars, bass, and drums, and that's it. Like, don't get me wrong, like, synths done well are an awesome addition. But yeah. when oh, it's yeah. like, when you're just messing around with, like, GarageBand or something, and you're like, oh, this sounds great. It's like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> you need someone <laughs> who knows how to get those sounds out of that thing so it doesn't oh, sound yeah. cheesy. Mm-hmm. In 2018, you released solo, like, a solo record. Is, is that how mm-hmm. it's called? Yep. Why mm-hmm. did you call it a uh, solo record? Uh, I guess because it was funny, because it was like clearly I already had two of them before, <laughs> and it was like, but it kind of felt like the first one where I I wasn't relying on as much accompaniment. So there's a lot more voice guitar in there, and um, which I think like the audience that I have like seems to sort of want more. I think. You know, like they want more the yeah, because you play when you, with the instrument. Yeah, when you play shows, you play by yourself, exactly. so it's it's what they're expecting. Yeah, I I brought out. We did this uh, Bose Oktoberfest. Oh wait, you were there for that, right? The same. Not we this played year. the same year. No, no, no. But it was like 2019, I think. Yeah, I was there for like four years in a row. So yeah, oh, okay, 2000, okay. 2019 was the tornado year, I think. Oh no! Okay, so maybe it was 2020. No, come on. What's it now? No, must have been no. That must have been like a different year. But the year, but I saw you because we hung out a little bit at. But that Oktoberfest is the first time that I brought out um, my mate Harley, who plays. So we just did it like two guitars, and I really loved like having that side of accompaniment because it filled out where it needed to fill it out, but it wasn't like um, it wasn't too overbearing. Which yeah. sometimes the full band can be. It's like a whole other thing, you know. Well, in your song, Love is a House on Fire, um, can, can, well, can you describe that song? What does this song mean to you? I think that song was like kind of all-encompassing about not being able to really tell someone like what you think or feel and just whether it was like good or bad and this sort of hesitancy to be able to sort of say things that you should be able to say that was kind of this theme in it and um that's another one too where you just like mess around with that capo a bit and kind of switch around the power chord to you know switch your fingers around and open up some strings and it's like oh this is like interesting um and um yeah being able to kind of like keep it simple as well so that's kind of what i remember about writing that song but now we're at the part where we're gonna talk about creativity. Question I always ask is, what is creativity to you? And uh, how would you describe it to someone who's never heard of the word creativity before? Yeah, I guess the easiest explanation is trying to create something that's just not there before. And, you know, that's what songs, that's what's kind of interesting about songwriting is that it's it didn't exist one minute and then all of a sudden it's there um i think being able to like i think anyone can be creative in different arenas of life like i think Mm -hmm. human beings we had to be creative in order to get to a point where we have electricity and we're not living in caves anymore like it's sort of this urgency to kind of figure it out and i think that you know our lives are much better human beings when we have fulfilling work and we have time to be creative. I think if you can kind of combine those things, you'll be a happy person more or less. So yeah, finding out where, you know, what you like doing or what you're good at, or even what you're not good at, you know, it's just like to kind of just something that makes you happy. I think it's so pivotal to like survival (laughs) because it's really easy to be distracted by a million other things that don't really, affect you but you know you think they do and so if you can kind of get into something else that's creating something that wasn't there before fill in the blank of what that is 
then uh, that's a pretty special thing. Yeah, I like it. I like that you mentioned um, you mentioned survival. There's uh, another guest that I can't remember who it was, but somebody else mentioned like it's a survival tool. Like it's like, like humans, they we had to be creative at some point <clears throat> in order to survive. So, yeah. Do you think like everyone is creative? Everyone yeah, is like a creative potential, but like, do you think some people like, um, that, that's, a, that's almost like one of the last podcasts. I'm just like, I ask these questions all the time, but what I really want to meet, what I really mean here is like, so like everyone is like a creative potential, but I feel like not everyone sees like the, um, the importance of creativity in some, somebody's life. Do you, uh, do you know what I mean? Like some people like don't really care about creativity at all. And I'm not talking about like necessarily artistic creativity. I'm talking about like yeah. on, on any level. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess it's exactly right. It's, it's important to kind of uh, differentiate between like something that's like artistically creative, which it's true. Yeah. Not everybody has an interest in the arts, um, but, but there are, you know, almost any type of work you're doing, any type of like relationship you have, like you, there are things that you have to sort of figure out and that's being creative. And so uh, I think it's just a skill that people have. They just don't really know they have it, I guess is what I, I think is probably happening. Mm. Um, but you'd be surprised too. Like we're like, I'm surprised sometimes where, you know, you, you meet these like high powered uh, people in these jobs and finance or media or uh, something. And then, you know, like on their Instagram or something, they're like, oh yeah, I also build Lego and I'm like really good at building Lego. And like, it just, mm. there's, there's things that there's creativeness that comes out of people who even don't really have to do it for their job necessarily, but like in their hobby or they're doing it with their job without even realizing it. Yeah. I, I love, um, like I, I probably mentioned this a few times on the podcast, but I, I, I so I teach English and, um, in a college here and, uh, I've been doing that since the beginning of the pandemic actually. And um, I meet like these kids and they're like 17, 18, 19 years old. And uh, on the first class, I talked to them and I asked them like, like what's your passion? What, what, what do you do when you're not at school? And some of them like answers, like some of them answer like, I don't have any passion. I don't have any hobby outside of school. I'm like, that's the saddest thing ever. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, of course, I don't tell them that. And if they're listening right now, they probably won't listen to this. But it, like those who are listening, they probably did not tell me that. Like, but, but that made me, that makes me very sad because I'm, I'm thinking like, oh shit, like some people like don't pursue any like passion or any dreams. And, and when I hear like, like you just mentioned, like some, somebody just, having like a Lego passion on their Instagram. I'm like, that's fucking amazing. Like whenever somebody <clears throat> is passionate about something now, I'm like all ears. And I'm like, I want to hear everything about this. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty important to be, um, I don't know. I think being like curious about like, I think I'm curious about literally about everything. Like if you're into something, whether it's like, like if you like really understand the stock market or if you, I don't know if you love fishing or like I, I have like all the time in the world for you. If you can kind of engage me in what it is about this subject or this thing that you really enjoy, like, <laughs> I don't know, there's, it's sort of weird to go through life with, with thinking that you might be missing out on something that you could be really good at or really enjoy doing. So, and I say that as like the lazy guy that like, you know, that's the lazy part of me saying that like, it's like, shit, maybe I do want to go, I don't know, kiteboarding or something, but I'll never do it. You know, uh, <laughs> But I also, to, to kind of go back to your point, I, I, I would argue that, like, because you're teaching what I imagine to be young people, they mm -hmm. probably just haven't figured it out yet. I mean, it's, you know, they're, it's probably, possible yeah. that, like, in their late 20s, it might kind of dawn on them what they might be more into that they probably didn't do before. Mm -hmm. I really hope that's what happens for them. Um... Or, <laughs> or else, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Uh, do you, what's your job right now? Do you have a, cause I know before you used to just play music, I think, but like now with the pandemic, what do you, what do you do? How do you survive in this capitalistic I've, world? I've literally been furloughed by the, the government has, has given me Justin Trudeau, baby. Thanks oh, for the money. Amazing. 
Yeah, I don't know if I should say gloating about that. <laughs> I, I could I could yeah. cut it out if you want. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean uh, it really but, is. Uh, yeah, it's uh, and to be honest with you, like at first I was, you know, I've gone through like a roller coaster of emotions by taking this grant or or sorry this um, benefit, right? Because mm-hmm. like one of the things I really like pride myself on, especially like up until. 2000 you know late 2019 was like all right i'm like making my way in this crazy world you know like mm-hmm. i'm like every year was like financially getting better and uh you know you could see how you're like getting i don't know more focused on like the touring you should be doing and like cutting out the stuff that doesn't make sense and uh and then yeah then covid hit and it was like they had these benefits and i was just like well i'll take it for a while because you know i can't really like it's it's not like I'm like trained in some other thing. I didn't have like another job for seven eight years before, so yeah, I kind of just I don't know the the benefit crept up and I was like I'll just take this I guess. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, this is my own tax dollars coming back to me when I need them. I look at it so. But, yeah, you're right. You're right. But but uh, but, but, but so let, let me put the, time, the caveat yeah. is is that I did not ever in wildest dreams expect it to go on this long, and uh, you know I. I feel like I, I will repay my debt to the taxpayers of Canada when like, they let me earning money yeah. again. <laughs> and uh, what do you do in your free time now? So do you do you are you creative right now in your free time? Like you're working on your house, you mentioned, but do you do? Yeah. Essentially, so what I feel like I do every month is push back the the next batch of songs that are going to come out, the next tour going to come out. Like the world is not nearly open enough that it feels like it makes sense to do it. So the creative side of me, uh, or the songwriting, I feel like is like it's like for next stuff is like ready to go. It's just like like unfortunately like there's the sort of business side of what I have to be mindful about what I do, which is like if I have to, if I'm going to go into a studio and pay money for that studio, and then go and promote the albums and like or the songs or whatever they come out as singles, then you know, I have to be able to make sense of the whole thing. And so the whole thing relies on being able to tour and revenue money. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know what's happening. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I see bands listing tour dates and I'm like, cool, maybe we're like, all oh, can go back to it. And then I see like tour dates, some of those tours like cancel again. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> and then some other bands are like doing them. It doesn't, do you know what I mean? It's confusing. What's yeah, right now happening. it's like, it's very confusing. I just saw today, I saw a video uh, by Frank Turner who just uh, did uh, Lost Evenings 4, something like that, this festival in London. I think it was in London, not sure. It was in the UK, definitely. And uh, he talks about it. And like, I see, like, so you see like pictures of the crowd and like, like he talks about the whole festival. And I'm like, oh shit, there's like kind of like some hope that things might get back to normal like sooner than I expected. But then again, yeah. I don't know because I see like those big festivals in the States and they have like big crowded um, shows. And I'm like, all right, I don't I don't know what to think here in Quebec right now as we speak. I don't know. I hope it's going to be different when this podcast will come out. But as we speak right now, it's still very restricted and it's not going to open. I feel like I fear that it's not going to open until like our our government, like the government of Quebec will have to go in election, which is next in a year like or like in i don't know in nine months so i'm like i don't know yeah it's you know it's hard to kind of talk about covid's um just battle axe on what i was doing because i don't and my to be honest, I don't really like complaining. Like, I don't like sounding like I'm complaining. Like I think it's kind of it's not a mm-hmm. good use of my time or, or the person's time listening to it. That's just my that's how I like to roll. So yeah. now if I liked complaining, all I would do is all day long is complain about it because it's literally <laughs> crushed every single thing someone like myself had built for like almost a decade. And one swoop, it's just like this is nearly impossible to go back to. Because you really rely on people like feeling like really good about going into rooms, especially, you know, I always felt like my show was so much better indoors than it is outdoors. Yeah. I feel that it's, there's more intimacy if you can kind of have a room packed full of people, uh, being able to travel throughout, you know, many countries and many 
uh, regions of a country uh, is important as well. So I just, yeah, I don't really know uh, when it can kind of go back to like, this was all a bad idea, but I hope, I hope next year it's can, you know, I'm planning, like put it this way. I know I've run on a lot while about this point but like i am constantly planning it it's just like as soon as the it seems like a green light it's like we're back on to uh mm-hmm. to storming around the world again all right do you um so we're we're at the end of the podcast already do you have any um you well you just talked about this but do you have future projects future like a future album that's going to come out soon some or something that people should check out like when they're going to listen after they're listening to this podcast yeah, I mean, I really truly hope sometime in the late spring that uh, we can start putting out some new music and um, start hitting the road again. So I just keep an eye on the social media, and uh, as soon as like, as soon as this thing seems wrapped up, or you know what, if it seems like it's never gonna happen, then I'll just I'll just sort of put some music out anyways because it's like nice. why just let this sit there forever. So I would say like early twenty twenty two. Uh, for sure. Coming back, baby. Woo, amazing. Thank you, Rob, for your time, and uh, I hope to see you soon. Absolutely, again. Thank you so much. All right.